this morning. Um, I've been speaking at Storyline a few times a year uh, for a long time. I tried to figure out exactly how long and I couldn't. Uh, it's been that long. And so a few months ago, I had decided that I wasn't going to get a summer job like I normally do. And so I told Mike that I would be open to speaking a couple of times this summer. And so we agreed on that. And then shortly thereafter, I was selected for the Grovesner Teacher Fellowship through National Geographic and Lindblad Expeditions. Thank you. Um, so I'll be spending the second part of my summer in the Arctic. Um, so if you're thinking, didn't she just speak last Sunday? Yep, and I'm thinking that too. Uh, but this is me upholding my talk commitment for this summer. Um, so there are a lot of things that I'm very excited about for my Arctic expedition. Um, I'm expecting to see some really cool wildlife, and I can't wait to see some of the world's largest glaciers. 
But one of the things that I'm looking forward to the most is that National Geographic encourages us to go into this experience with no expectations. Um, as part of my fellowship, there are several things I have to bring back to my classroom and do after the expedition, but they tell us to go in totally open-minded, not worrying about what will come next. They want us to be explorers and learners with the goal of just noticing and reflecting on our experiences. And you know, as an adult, situations like this where we're encouraged to not know and not try to figure it all out don't present themselves very often. You know, in our everyday life, we are drawn to what we know, our expertise, our skill set, you know, what we know how to do and accomplish. In other words, like we talked about last week, we're drawn to certainty. And there is much about real life where we do have to be sure, correct, and have answers. And this brings us to what we discussed last Sunday, you know, why the allure of certainty is so powerful and difficult to resist, and yet Jesus offers a very different and better way forward, almost like he's encouraging us to go into life as learners, explorers, with open minds and full hearts. So for the past few weeks, we've been referring to our society as VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And we've looked at how living in a VUCA world overstimulates several of our basic desires, but especially our need for certainty. And last week, we explored three reasons why certainty is so appealing to us. So the first is biological. The desire for certainty is wired in our DNA to help us make decisions and to learn. The second reason why certainty can be so enticing is psychological. We often think of certainty as an intellectual state, but it's really an emotional state. The feelings of knowing, correctness, conviction, and certainty aren't deliberate conclusions or conscious choices. They are emotions no different from love or anger. And then finally, the third reason why certainty is so alluring and can have such a tight grip on us is sociological. In recent years, our society has become more and more cynical. And as cynicism has grown, so has certainty. And so we discovered how the VUCA world has corrupted skepticism, a very open-minded, healthy approach to the world, into cynicism, a closed-minded view that claims we already know all there is to know and nothing can change our minds. And so we're living in a culture of cynical certainty that often stands in between us and the good life Jesus promised. The life of faith that Jesus both models for us and invites us into has nothing to do with how certain we are about our beliefs. Now, for Jesus, the life of faith isn't about what we know, but is about who we trust. Faith is about trusting in God's grace day in and day out in a way that leads us, inspires us, and empowers us to love with open minds and full hearts. And the Bible says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And last week we saw how a life lived that way doesn't come from what we know, it grows out of who we trust. And so what I'd like to talk about this morning is, how do we do that? How do we grow to trust God despite all of the volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity surrounding us? And what I'd like to suggest is that one of the primary ways into that kind of growing trust in God is with and through each other. The life of faith can't be lived in isolation. It can only be experienced through a supportive and loving community. A growing trust in God requires a growing trust in each other. You know what makes humans different from other animals? Feet. No, 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 come on, bears have feet. We're the only species on Earth that observes Shark Week. Sharks don't even observe Shark Week, but we do. For the same reason, I can pick up this pencil, 
tell you its name is Steve, and go like this. Oh. And part of you dies just a little bit on the inside because people can connect with anything. We can sympathize with a pencil, we can forgive a shark, and we can give Ben Affleck an Academy Award for screenwriting. Big mistake. People can find the good in just about anything but themselves. Look at me. It's clear to all of you that I am awesome. But I can never admit that. But what I can do is see what makes Annie awesome. She's driven. We need driven people or the lights go out and the ice cream melts. And Pierce, we need guys like Pierce. This guy has wisdom to offer. The Dalai Lama and I. We should listen to him sometime. We wouldn't regret it. And Shirley, Shirley has earned our respect. Not as a wife, not as a mother, but as a woman. And don't test her on that because that thing about the jukebox was way too specific to be improvised. Yeah. And Troy. Who cares if Troy thinks he's all that? Maybe he is. Do you think astronauts go to the moon because they hate oxygen? No, they're trying to impress their high school's prom king. And Abed, Abed's a shaman. You ask him to pass the salt, he gives you a bowl of soup. Because you know what? Soup is better. Abed is better. You are all better than you think you are. You are just designed not to believe it when you hear it from yourself. Soup? I want you to look to the person to your left. Sorry, look at the person sitting next to you. Look at her, okay. Yeah. I want you to extend to that person the same compassion that you extend to Sharks, Pencils, and Ben Affleck. I want you to say to that person, I forgive you. 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 A little twerk. Pierce, I'd like you to say I forgive you. You didn't say it? I forget. You've just stopped being a study group. You've become something unstoppable. I hereby pronounce you a community. Oh, that's nice. I like so as a high school teacher, um, one of the things I see every day, all day, is the quest for connection. In fact, most days, this is all I see. Uh, young people may not be aware of it, but from the outside looking in, it doesn't take long to see that a huge percentage of their life is dedicated to finding, impressing, and keeping a group of friends. And this looks different depending on their age, but it's still there all the time. I teach um, mostly freshmen and seniors, not at the same time, that would be a total disaster, uh, but freshman biology and senior environmental science and forensic science. And so every day I have this incredibly unique perspective into the human project. And one of the biggest differences between 14-year-olds and 18-year-olds, besides their height, ability to make conversation, and body odor. Um, for the record, senior girls are great conversationalists, especially if you bring up Harry Styles or Taylor Swift. Freshman boys, well, I can smell them long before they arrive in my classroom. But besides all of that, most freshmen don't know where they belong or how they fit in. And so a lot of their time, effort, and mental energy is consumed with trying to figure that out and at times making some pretty clumsy attempts to fit in and impress their peers. Like the freshman I had a few years ago who would purposefully get his thumbs stuck in the holes of the lab tables at least once a week because he thought it was funny and so did his classmates. Like he didn't really seem to care that I didn't think it was funny, um, but it was just his way of trying to fit in. But seniors are different. They have settled into their niche and found a group or a club or a team where they feel like they belong. The more flamboyant attempts for friendship may be over, but the passion connected to connecting with others clearly remains. And as we grow older, I don't think we outgrow this. We grow more and more sophisticated in our desire to connect, but the passion never dies. So next week, Mike will be speaking about freedom. And I think all of us can agree, freedom is a wonderful ideal. You know, one of the best parts about graduating from high school is a freedom from the more clumsy attempts to belong, the less sophisticated ways we try to connect. Still, we can't ultimately free ourselves from the need to connect, the necessity of living in community regardless of if we are seniors in high school or senior citizens. Why is that? Now, if you've been coming to Storyline for any amount of time, 
You may have noticed that when a certain someone speaks, sometimes it can get a little philosophical. And when that happens, I'm usually like, seriously, this again? Uh, because I don't consider myself uh, much of a philosophical dreamer. I'm much more of a scientific realist. And so we're gonna balance out some of that philosophy this morning with a pretty good dose of very cool science. Uh, because I think in this case, science actually has a lot to show us about the nature of who we are, what we are made from and for, and how all of that relates to our relentless desire for forming connections and creating community. So hopefully we remember from eighth grade science that everything everywhere is made of atoms, including us. Um, and atoms are small, like a single grain of sand contains a million trillion atoms. Um, and for a long time, scientists thought that atoms were the smallest thing that existed until they discovered particles. Subatomic particles are a lot smaller than atoms, and they are also incredibly strange. In fact, the name of one of the particles scientists discovered is strange because of how bizarrely these things act. And so subatomic particles seem to come into existence, and then for reasons we can't figure out, just disappear. They're here, and then they're not here. And we don't know where they come from or where they go. As far as scientists know, subatomic particles are the most fundamental building blocks of the universe. And yet, what we know about them is they exist, and then they don't. But we don't know why or how or where. I mean, take that in for a second. The smartest people in the world don't know how the fundamental building blocks of the universe exist, or why, or even where. So if you're wondering, well, how do we know these things exist at all? That's a great question. Scientists can't identify or describe these subatomic building blocks of existence, but they know they exist because of their interactions, the relationships between them. I mean, really, because of their connections or the community they form. It seems that at the smallest, most fundamental and elemental level of existence itself, we don't see the smallest things. What we see are things in relation, a community of subatomic particles. So if we can get overly philosophical some Sundays, just give me two more minutes to get super sciency here because this is really cool. Some subatomic particles can disappear at point A and then reappear at point B without traveling the distance in between. Other particles are bonded together and then they separate, and then after they separate, they demonstrate an awareness of what the other particle is doing without any communication between them. So for instance, if you change the direction one is spinning, the other will change the direction it is spinning. It doesn't matter how long they were bonded for or the distance between them, even disconnected, they show this longing for one another. Physicists call this entanglement. They were once together, and now they're not, but they're still keeping tabs on each other, like they are longing for each other. It's almost as if they'd stop at nothing to connect again. It seems as though connection, community, belonging, is built into the very heart, the fundamental elements of existence. And I know this sounds like science fiction, but this really is science. And while we don't know everything it means for us physically, I think looking at the building blocks of life can help us grasp a little more about the nature of relationships, or at least our need for them. The stuff that we are literally made of, the very building blocks, the foundation of who we are, the strange particles and the muons and bosons and quarks are entangled. They are connected, they are in a community with each other. And maybe this is part of the reason why we value connections and relationships so much, because we're made of entangled particles. I mean, is it possible then, if we are literally made of connection and literally held together by connection, that we are made on the human level for connection? It makes me wonder, 
maybe we were made to be entangled in each other's lives, to live in a heightened awareness of those who are disconnected or missing. And it helps me relate to something God said in Genesis. It's not good for man to be alone with a new level of appreciation. It certainly is something that science has proven on the particle level. Teens have proven on the relational level. And all of us know at our deepest level, being alone is not good. understanding than ever of how relational the building blocks of life are and how our hungry hearts long for connection, research shows that compared to just several generations ago, we spend less time in conversation over meals, we exchange visits less frequently, we engage less often in leisure activities that encourage social interaction, we know our neighbors less well, and we see old friends less often. Just a few months ago, the Surgeon General released a report on the epidemic of loneliness and isolation in the U.S., and the statistics in it are absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, study after study shows that people who have strong connections, who live in community, cope better with trauma and fight illness more effectively, live longer, and report much higher levels of well-being than those who don't. Belonging makes us smarter, healthier, safer, and even richer. One author says, social connectedness is one of the most powerful determinants of our well-being. The more integrated we are with our community, the less likely we are to experience colds, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, and premature death of all sorts. 
After reviewing dozens of scientific studies, sociologists have concluded that the positive contributions to health made by belonging and social support rival in strength the detrimental contributions of well-established biomedical risk factors like cigarette smoking, obesity, elevated blood pressure, and physical inactivity. In other words, statistically, it's a toss-up whether we should stop smoking or start connecting. <laughs> so connection community is obviously powerful, very powerful. Because the people that we're entangled with, to a large extent, determine how life feels to us. Are we good enough? Are we accepted? Do we have something valuable to offer and contribute? And when we belong to an open, accepting, and loving community, these fundamental questions all human beings ask are being answered, yes. The challenge is finding this type of community which can be difficult for a number of reasons. We live in an immediate gratification, push-button world where anything we want, from food to clothes to electronics, can be at our doorstep within a matter of minutes or hours. Entertainment can be tailored to what we want right now. And all of this is effortless, and it comes without risk or sacrifice or the requirement to make commitments. But building a community, a true community, requires all of those things. It takes time, requires effort, is definitely risky, and demands sacrifice. You know, to be honest, this is a huge struggle for me. I'm an introvert who lives alone, and one of my favorite things is to be home alone. And so it's difficult for me to say yes to getting together with friends or going out with a group or committing to something that requires me to sacrifice my alone time. And one of the things a lot of us found out during the pandemic is that as horrible as it was to be locked in our houses, especially if you don't live alone, uh, it's much easier <laughs> than working to build connections and community with each other. And so, you know, many Americans have continued to stick with the convenient and comfortable way rather than the hard way because we realize the price we often pay for belonging, to feel good about ourselves because others feel good about us, is just too high. And it has ironically created a new kind of pandemic of loneliness, disconnection, and purposelessness. But the need for connection to belong, to feel a part of something that's bigger than us, never leaves us because it's something that has always been in us down to the subatomic level. The creation story in the beginning of the Bible is telling us this exact same, same thing, just in a more poetic and much less scientific way. It says, in the beginning, when God created the universe, the earth was formless and desolate, the raging ocean that covered everything was engulfed in total darkness, and the Spirit of God was moving over the water. There was nothing, and then there was something, and because that something was created by God, its very foundation was relational, communal, connected. The Bible goes on to talk about God's Spirit moving through all of creation, animating and activating, bonding and uniting, connecting and entangling. There are a lot of different traditions throughout history that have described God's spirit in lots of different ways. In the New Testament, one way that they referred to it was through Jesus. They wrote about how through Jesus, everything came into existence. They talked about the spirit of Jesus forming the sun and the stars and each one of us. The Bible says, for in him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. The New Testament writers understood that Jesus was both cosmic and personal, a creator in connection, in community. Down to our very foundation, we were created for connection. And what this means is that, you know, though an ability to go it alone at times is an asset, we have to acknowledge that like certainty, 
which is a warped desire to be free from the discomfort of not knowing or doubt, individualism, hyper self-reliance is a detrimental desire to be free from the risk, sacrifice, and commitment that community requires. And just like giving into the temptation to cynical certainty closes us off to learning and growing, the allure of going it alone in life will hold us back from entering life as open-minded learners, explorers, and adventurers, which is what Jesus is inviting us into. So the real question is, what kind of community do we need to experience the abundant life Jesus promised? It seems to me that our VUCA society has confused us about what connection is and the true purpose of community. You know, we use the term community very loosely to simply mean people that we're surrounded by. But we can't just hereby pronounce a community. A true community is so much more than that. If we look at the community Jesus established, it wasn't made up of his buddies that he loved spending time with because they had lots of things in common. I mean, this was a group that included fishermen, a tax collector, a terrorist, and Jesus was a carpenter. They had almost nothing in common, but they were a community because they had a common unity around a mission to serve, love, and include others together. In the past, we have talked about this as a communitas, a community not about itself, but about others. And maybe this is why Jesus said such strange things like, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. It's true that Jesus and his disciples lived life together. They were entangled. But on every page of the Bible, they are on the move, aware of who is disconnected, longing for those who are missing and excluded. And so they sought them out, stopping at nothing to serve, heal, feed, and include and connect with anyone and everyone. I mean, this is truly a strange kind of community where people connect with one another and experience God's goodness and grow to trust in God's grace as they focus on those who are disconnected. In a study published just last week, researchers found that it's not just social interactions that help combat the loneliness epidemic. The key to a life-changing community is a sense of purpose. Simply being surrounded by others isn't enough to fight off all of the detrimental effects of loneliness. We have to be on a mission together. If you think about it, I'd guess that the best communities you've ever been a part of, the closest you've ever felt to a group of people, were most likely communities that had a larger purpose. For me, my high school softball team and the Young Life team that I volunteered on for a number of years are two of the closest communities that I've ever experienced. And the reason for that is because we were on a mission together. We were dedicated to something that was other-focused and not about ourselves. to dress in my place, coach. He deserves it. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Georgia Tech is one of the top offensive teams in the country.
You're an all-American, and our captain act like it. I believe I am. Me too, coach. How are Rudy to dress in my place? When we are a part of a team or a group or community that's focused on something bigger than ourselves, it changes us. Every summer while I was in college, I spent a month or longer at um, volunteering at a different Young Life camp. And, you know, I initially signed up to do it because Young Life had such a big impact on how I came to faith in high school, and I thought it would be a good way to give back. But I quickly realized that no matter how much I gave, I always got way more in return. It was such a blessing to work side by side with other people on a common mission to provide experiences and opportunities for high school kids to encounter God's grace. I mean, don't get me wrong, it was hard work and every day was jam-packed with responsibilities and it was exhausting. But by being invited and included to be a part of this mission, in the context of a loving, supportive community, it changed who I was. You know, one of the things that I love about Storyline is that we truly believe the best church for you is the church that isn't for you. We aren't a church because we just pronounce ourselves a church. We are on the same strange mission that subatomic particles are on and Jesus and his first followers were on longing for those who are disconnected and missing, willing to go anywhere and do anything to invite them and include them. We exist as a community to inspire and equip one another to serve and love others because we believe that is what church is for. I mean, right now, for example, we have a number of storyliners who are quietly and behind the scenes doing things like serving kids in the inner city providing meals and gifts and check-ins for people who are struggling, raising money for homeless parents and kids, and caring for those who are celebrating, suffering, and everything in between. Our community looks like this because we're trying to embody the kind of communitas that Jesus created. When we look at the disciples, we see a true community a group of people centered on their connection with Jesus coming together to do what he did. And that means inviting and including all kinds of people with all kinds of beliefs and all kinds of doubts. The Bible is trying to tell us, and the life of Jesus shows us, it's only connections based on this new context and this greater story. Jesus at the center inspiring, challenging, and equipping a community to live their lives together for others that will ultimately connect us to the connection that made us. The connection we are made of, made from, and made for. Emily Durkheim, who was one of the founders of the field of sociology, wrote something long ago that gets to the heart of what God is inviting us into and why as well as the dream God has called Storyline to embody together. Religious beliefs and practices turned out to matter very little. Whether you believe in hell, whether you pray daily, whether you're a Catholic, Protestant, Jew, or Mormon, none of these things matter. The only thing that was reliably and powerfully associated with the moral benefits of religion was how enmeshed people were in relationships with their co-religionists. It's the friendships and group activities carried out within a moral matrix that emphasizes selflessness. That's what brings out the best in people. 
It is religious belongingness that matters, not religious believing. This is why we strive to be a place, a people, where anyone can belong before they believe, no matter what they believe. Because ultimately, and we see this playing out in subatomic particles, the book of Genesis, the life of Jesus, and everything and everyone in between, what we need to believe is that we belong. The courage, the faith, the trust to step into the abundant life that Jesus promises grows from believing we belong. That at every level, in every way we ride together, we are literally creating a different kind of world. is so much truth to this line from that song. When we're riding all together, it's a different kind of world. When we're riding all together, I'm a different kind of girl. I know that's true for me, and I'll bet it's true for you too. Community, connection, entanglement, belonging changes us and changes the world. Science tells us that every particle in existence was created and instantly bonded with another to create something bigger and more beautiful than it ever could have been alone. The Bible puts the same thing this way. When God saw Adam and Eve together, he declared it to be very good. We are made up of these subatomic particles and these eternal truths how amazing and crazy and strange they end up being all about the same thing, connection, community, and belonging. We were made to be a part, one particle, if you will, of something bigger and more beautiful than we can be on our own. A community, beings in relation 
on a mission to recreate creation itself over and over again by extending inclusion, love, and grace. That will give us a purpose that can entangle us with each other and with God. Jesus puts it like this. If your first concern is to look after yourself, you'll never find yourself. But if you forget about yourself and look to me, you'll find both yourself and me. So just one last bit of science before we close, because it's so cool. I mean, way cooler than philosophy. Uh, So did you know that helium is the second most abundant atom in the universe, but our supply on Earth is actually disappearing? And the reason for this is so telling, and once again points to the purpose of existence. Helium is disappearing because its internal structure leaves no room for connection with other atoms. And unable to make these entanglements, it can't participate in the chemical reactions that define life, things like metabolism and growth and reproduction. Humans are made up of dozens of different elements, but helium isn't one of them. Disconnected, helium is literally disappearing. Because we are made of connections, from entanglements, by belonging, and for community, down to the smallest parts of us, that means above all else, relationships matter because all matter is relationships. There's a verse in the Bible that refers to Jesus by saying, he holds all things together. And as he does, entangled with him and his mission, we are able to truly discover that the life of faith is not about what we know, but is about who we trust. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time and this place and the chance to be together this morning. Thank you for this community of people. We ask that you would show us ways that we can serve and love and include each other better. Help us to grow to trust in you more and more by growing to trust in each other together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming. Have a good day.